Welcome to A Little Louder Now, a podcast produced by the Bridge Initiative, an FI360 project. I'm Tara McBride. In this episode, Alex and I decided to do something a little different. This month, we are featuring our good friend, colleague, and ally, Matt Wolnowitz, who's Vice President of Sales at FI360. Matt has been an advocate for the Bridge Initiative from the very start. In fact, most people don't know this, but it was Matt who first suggested an event dedicated to women in finance at the FI360 conference. He has a unique ability to excite any room with his intense but positive energy. He cares deeply about his colleagues and his clients, believing in the power of good people and their ability to deliver on a mission. During our conversation, he shares some great insights into what he believes makes a strong ally that we know you will find valuable. We are thrilled for you to meet the leader we know and love. Here is our interview with Matt Walnowitz. <laughs> All right. So Matt, thank you for, for doing this for us. We really appreciate you jumping on. And you're the first yeah. male ally that we're going to interview. So I'm really excited to get um, to dig in on who you are and how you what feel about, about Robbie? inclusion. We did, what about we Robbie? did not interview we did not interview Robbie. Oh, he just we did one of our videos with him on Twitter. Yes, we did, but not something like this. No. Well, that's so good. I'm honored. The first, yeah. Yeah. The, we uh, wanted you to be the first. Yeah, yeah, we did. As the uh, the oldest brother to um, three younger sisters, and the dad of two daughters, it's my privilege. Oh, well, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so why don't you just start off by telling us about um, how you got into financial services and, um, you know, was it something that you always wanted to do? And, you know, how did you how did you get to doing what you're doing right now? Since we were talking about Nirvana and Seinfeld, do either one of you remember <laughs> the movie Trading Places? Sure do. No. With Eddie Murphy <laughs> and Dan Aykroyd. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> If not, there's there's a good one to um, there's a good one to watch on Netflix this weekend. All right, I'll get on that one. And let's see, Tara, just, uh, just to date myself, I think I must have been in junior high when um, when that came out. Um, but that was. Um, you know, it was it was a timely movie. It was um, a movie that everybody was talking about. It was funny, and um, it was all about trading. I think it was uh, trading uh, on the orange juice market. And so, growing up here in Chicago, we always had the board of trade um, downtown, and that was a um, you know a huge trading floor where they traded treasury futures on there, and so the movie kind of piqued my interest. And then my dad actually knew some people that worked down there. And so after I graduated from high school and before I went away to college, I actually worked down on the floor of the, um, of the Chicago board of trade. And that's, that's really kind of where my, um, my interest in, in finance and the markets began. Wow. Junior high. <laughs> that's that's a that's an early start. I I, I definitely didn't know what yeah. I wanted to do when I was in junior high. So that's that's really amazing that you started that young. So um, when you got into the business, um, you know what was your experience like? What what kind of work were you doing? And you know what was what was the dynamic like in the industry? So it was pretty cool. I mean, we'll we'll talk about the old days. Back in the old days everything that traded was open outcry. So there was literally a circular pit that the traders stood in and they actually bought and sold all these future contracts um, via, believe it or not, outcry. So via spoken word and um, via hand signals. So it was really, um, mm -hmm. really interesting and uh, really, really kind of crazy. Um, and so it was a really, really fun place to, um, to get to go to work every day. And, um, you know, I enjoyed that. And I decided to be a finance major when I went to school and was just always interested in, uh, economics and, and, um, 
you know, really just interested in how the business world operated. Um, you know, it's funny, even though I saw the movie back in grade school, it wasn't like I was five years old and I wanted to be a fireman. I just thought that it was interesting and it was kind of cool. And I was lucky enough that, um, uh, that I could get a job down there. And then once I had the job down there, I became increasingly um, more interested in the way that the, uh, the markets worked. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like it was a really fast paced and high energy kind of a kind of an experience that you had Mm -hmm. at a young age and just knowing what we know of you, you, that's, that fits your personality really, really well. Yeah. 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 Super high energy and just kind of moving really fast. Um, you know, just, I'm kind of curious, um, you know, how many, just because this is, you know, the topic of the, uh, the bridge initiative and a little louder now is all about um, diversity and inclusion. What did mm-hmm. the floor look like? Um, what was it? What was the, what was the demographic? Was the makeup. Like? Yeah. What was the makeup like? You know, it was, it was really traditional financial services, but um, it was interesting because the, um, the firm that I work for wasn't one of the big firms like, um, you know, Goldman Sachs or, um, a Bank of America, because those firms really dominated the market and dominated the trading. It was a um, it was a smaller Chicago-based firm, and it's it's kind of funny to think back on it because um, you know from a demographic standpoint, most of the the traders were um, white men without a shadow of a doubt. <clears throat> However, at First Options, which was the company that I worked for. Um, it was actually pretty diverse and um, really diverse more in terms of um, female makeup. And so there were a couple of women that I worked with on the floor and we had interesting jobs because the way that it would work is there was a bank of phones that was set up and people that were not um, on the floor trading, they would call their orders in. So when they called their orders in, the person who answered the phone would actually use hand signals to get a hold of a trader in the pit and flash a buy or sell. If the trade was off market, they would hand you a slip of paper and you physically had to make your way into the pit to, um, to give the, the, um, the order to the trader. And so there were a couple of women that I worked with who were runners, which was our job was to get the orders into the pit. And then once the orders were filled, we would actually bring a slip of paper back to the phones and they would call the customer back and tell them, that the order was fulfilled and the price that was done at, that's probably pretty hard for um, anybody who's under the age of maybe 50 to even understand that that's how trade used to be executed, but that's how they were executed. So there were some, there were definitely some females down there on the minority side though. um, It was, um, there really wasn't any diversity at all. Yeah. And so um, I'm just curious, of, you know, obviously these are like, you're, you're working very closely with these people. And now I imagine while you're on the floor that it's, you're really focused on, it's really fast paced, right? So you're not like hanging yeah. out, having conversations or anything like that, I would imagine. Um, but did they share any stories with you or did you ever witness anything that was, uh, that made you pause or that seemed a little bit off about like an experience that they had or something a way that they were treated that you felt was a little bit different than the way you were treated? Well, I'll tell you something that was, that was just interesting in general. So the, the pit is a circular pit. There were three or four or five, six steps. I can't remember exactly how many, but um, there was actually a stairway that you went into to, um, to bring the orders in and all the people that traded on the floor. Um, there were a bunch of people that traded for their own accounts. They were, they were market makers. They brought, liquidity to the market, they stood in the same place every single day. And so there were a lot of funny stories because they would stand in place, but as the market started to move, um, not only would the noise increase, but physically people would be jostling for position. And so there would literally be fistfights in the pit between people that stood next to each other every single day and they would have a fight and then they would stay in their spot and continue trading and they would have to stand next to that person for um, literally for years and years. So it was, it was an interesting, um, I don't know, an an interesting 
baptism into the fast-paced world of finance where um, I don't think that that could ever be replicated anywhere else. So, you know, in, in terms of being treated any different, it was it was fast-paced because I think the markets opened at eight and they went until two and people really didn't take a lunch break. They worked right through it. Um, and if there was breaking news, like yesterday, when the unemployment figures came out, um, there would be an incredible amount of act, uh, activity and then it would fall back into, I don't know, I guess kind of a normal routine, but there were always orders coming in from the clients. So people were always making their way um, into the pit to deliver the orders. You know, I guess one of the good things about that is as runners, the way that we that we did it is we just kind of lined up and we would just take orders and and go in. The only time that they might give me or ask me to go in is if it was really volatile and hectic. And um, physically, it would be just hard for, you know, a woman to make her way into the pit. But otherwise, it was, um, believe it or not, it was pretty equal opportunity down there. Um, so you um, worked with a lot of women. Well, you worked with probably more women than some folks did in the industry at the time. Um, but how did that how did that experience influence you know, the way that you, you know, if we fast forward to your time at FI360, you were the person who said, hey, we should have a women in finance event at um, our annual conference. And that was, I think, four or five years ago. Um, how do you think that your, in, mm -hmm. your experience over, over time in the industry and what you had observed over time um, sort of was the catalyst for that? You know, what, what motivated you to, to suggest something like that for, for this company? And also I've been here for a long time and I didn't know that about you, Matt, until Tara told me that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it was, it was interesting because I've always gone to, um, you know, a lot of financial services conferences and so I was always looking at, um, you know, what other firms were doing and really, um, you know, what attendees found value in. And it was interesting because that was, you know, before I got to, to FI and a lot of the conferences that are out in the marketplace, um, you know, we just kind of stopped going to because they weren't really delivering anything unique and they were kind of all the same. And there were many conferences that were just existed for people to get together and party and didn't really have a lot mm -hmm. of business. And that just, that didn't interest me. But, you know, Tara, if I, if I kind of go all the way back, you know, one of the things that I learned in college, you know, cause I, I was, um, I was a football player is at the end of the day, it really didn't matter where somebody was from or what they looked like or what color they were, or what they believed in, as long as they contributed to the success of the team. And so I always was of the opinion that if somebody added value and they were a good team player, it really didn't matter who they were um, as long as they were a good person and they, they helped the team. So, you know, at FI, um, one of the things that I had noticed over time was that the face of the financial advisor was changing and it was changing in a way that it was, um, you know, beginning to mirror the demographics um, of the United States. And so, you know, back in the eighties, when I worked on the board of trade in general, um, you know, it was white male dominated. And even today I would say that the industry you know, by and large still has that tilt, but it's changing. And the pace of change has accelerated, <clears throat> you know, probably over the past 10 years. Um, it's nowhere near 50-50 in terms of balance, but it's, it's changed dramatically. And so I just, I believe that if we were going to serve advisors and really help them have good outcomes for their investors, that we needed to begin to mirror um, what the changing demographics of the workforce look like. And, you know, I was lucky in that I had, I've had some really awesome female mentors um, ever since I've been in the financial services industry. And, you know, when I got to FI 
and went to the first conference, um, which was my, I think it was my third day. Um, the speaker spoke about the value of having a reverse mentor. And at that time I had agreed to, um, become Renee's reverse mentor. So, you know, I mentored her professionally and with questions that she had, and she mentored me on social media. And, um, there's no chance that I ever would have, um, begin to understand the power of Twitter and the power of just communicating via social media had, um, had I not had that exchange with Renee. So, um, you know, with having Ann and Sue Kelly with the firm, they, they are mm-hmm. such awesome, incredible leaders that, um, yeah. it was just a natural extension that, um, you know, we begin to be in the forefront, um, and do an event like that. You know, that was, I was actually going to bring up the mentoring thing because that's something that I've always admired about you. You know, I was close with Renee, um, when she was here and she always, um, you know, talked to me about how cool it was that you basically, you know, just walked up to her and were like, Hey, I'm going to be your mentor, but I want you to mentor me too. And I, I have always thought that was really cool. And that showed me who you were right almost at the outset of you coming to FI360. And you've been here for, what, five, six years now? Yeah, six years in April. Yeah. So uh, that's something that I have always admired about you. Well, thanks, Alex. You know, I, I tell you what, it, it's interesting, too, because there are a lot of people that, that go to conferences just to party and, and catch up with friends. And one of the things that I like best about our conference right from the beginning is that isn't what our conference is all about. It's about getting like-minded fiduciary people together and um, really exchanging, you know, good ideas. Um, And so getting to see the speakers that we had in that first conference, because that's a year that we had Brad there too. Um, Mm. And so, you know, that conference, what a great way for me to, um, to get started. Uh, And thanks for the compliment, but, you know, I'm telling you, I never would have been, where I am today with social media, had I not had that exchange with Renee, it was, that was such a, um, a great experience for me. And, um, you know, hopefully she got value out of it also. Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, Renee Watkins, who was on the marketing team, was, um, definitely a huge force. She, um, she put together our conference and, and really brought it to where it is today. Um, and, for anybody who doesn't follow Matt on Twitter, um, you should. <laughs> you <laughs> uh, absolutely should. Yeah. At yeah. <laughs> um, You're super active and um, thoughtful, and I and it's really engaging. You do it. You do it right. Um, mm-hmm. So that's really a Thank testament you. to. Um, yeah, that's. I mean, what you've learned and being open to the idea that um, somebody who's not your peer somebody who's much younger than you, um, who's earlier in their career can teach you something. And I think that really, that to me, like to Alex's point, I think it really just sort of demonstrates what kind of person you are, that it doesn't matter, as you said before, what age you are, what your background is, you know, where you're coming from. If you're a contributor and you have something to share, you, Matt, are um, 100% open to hearing and um, absorbing that information and, um, and having an, an, an interested and engaged dialogue with anybody who's willing to teach you. And I feel like this sort of leads me into my next question, I think, and it's kind of a leading question, but you know, I am curious. I feel like there are still a lot of folks in the industry who struggle with, first of all, recognizing that there is a need for, for more diversity and inclusion. And it's not just... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I need to hire the most qualified candidate. Candidate. Well, yes, that is true. You do need to hire the most qualified candidate. I don't think that anybody's asking you for to do um, anything differently in that sense. But I think that there is still, there's some folks who struggle with understanding what it takes to have um, a more diverse team. So, you know, I guess my question for you, Matt, is what would your biggest piece of advice be for anybody who maybe is struggling with, uh, maybe they're a leader, they're a business owner, and they need to um, 
to learn more about what it takes to, to hire a more diverse workforce, or maybe they're at the point where they're interested in implementing something similar to the Women in Finance event that we've done at FI360, what would be your biggest piece of advice to these folks who need to take or want to take um, the next step toward a more inclusive environment at their office? Well, you know, I think, you know, I think first you, you need to look at the business facts. If you, if you don't change and if you don't begin to look like your customers, you're not going to, you're not going to be around in five years. I just, I literally think that that's, that that's a fact. When you look at mm-hmm. how America <clears throat> is changing and how the business world is changing, um, you're fooling yourself if you think you can do things like you've always done them and um, been successful but I think it's deeper than that, Taryn, Alex. If, if you look at great companies, <clears throat> excuse me, and great leaders and um, building businesses where people really want to work and make a commitment to, um, to the firm and to the business, um, it's because there is strong leadership and it's because there are development programs for people that are young and that are new into the business. And, you know, for me, um, if I look back to the last financial crisis back in 2008 and 2009, I was at Morningstar and I had an unbelievable mentor, um, a woman by the name of Bevan Desmond, who ran our business. And, you know, it's interesting. It can be intimidating when you're a young person or when you're new to a company and in some ways you are afraid of the senior executives, you're afraid that um, you're going to make a mistake. You're afraid that they're not going to like you. You're just in general intimidated. Um, And with Bevan, she was kind enough to have lunch with me a couple of times. And as we began to get to know each other and we began to build a professional relationship when the market crash happened and there was panic and fear out in the streets and panic and fear with our clients, um, she really helped me create a, um, a strategy that worked not only great for our clients and brought a lot of value to them, but to us as the economy began to pick up, it, um, it really benefited us and we grew incredibly fast. Um, and so for me, being on the receiving end of a mentorship from a, um, from a female senior executive, it taught me one, you don't have to be afraid. And the two, as you begin to build personal relationships, you can learn so much more. And I, I, you know, I became so much better and I could never thank Bevan enough for that. And so for anybody who's in a leadership position, um, you know, for them not to think about the next generation of leaders or, for them not to think about how they can help people improve, um, you know, the firm isn't going to make it just because of that, much less if they're not willing to adopt um, and adapt to the way that clients have changed, um, they're going to be in big, big trouble and they just won't make it. Yeah, we've definitely talked about that um, as a group, uh, the bridge and um, on this on this interview platform before where we really feel like more and more people, just average Joe investors and Jane investors are interested in participating in, you know, investments and and the market. Um, Even if it's just by having a few, um, you know, mutual funds or, you know, your 401k or whatever it is, but they're interested in participating. But when you're talking about, handing your life savings over to somebody to manage. I I think that it really is important to recognize that that's a big step for a lot of people. And if you don't have a workforce that looks like the community around you, um, to your point, Matt, there it's, it's going to be harder and harder for, um, for, for firms to, win new assets because they just aren't keeping up with the way that the investing public looks. Um, so if you're not willing to change the way you're doing business, like you said, you're going to end up in five years way behind, way behind. And, and just from a reputational standpoint, I would think that that would be damaging, um, just to not, to not modernize how you do business. 
Well, just think about it. I mean, if we talk real specifically <clears throat> about the financial services industry, and if I think about my kids who are four, 15, 19, and 22, you know, first of all, if it's not on YouTube, they probably don't really know that it exists. Um, I'm semi-surprised <laughs> they will even watch. <laughs> I'm semi-surprised that they'll even watch um, regular TV, although I don't, I don't think they really do that. I think they watch, uh, to your point earlier, Tara, Netflix. Um, but as, as, as kids that are that age, as my 22-year-old moves into the, into the workforce, you know, I'm fairly confident that initially she's not going to have a lot of money to invest. And so the traditional advisors aren't really going to be interested in serving her. So what are her options? She could use a robo-advisor, which is fine initially, or most likely she's going to look for somebody that looks and talks and believes the same things that she does. And mm -hmm. so if that's how the demographic is going to change as people that are 22 and 21 and 23 enter the workforce and they begin to save some money in 10 years when they want to buy a house and maybe they've accumulated some assets in their 401k and they're thinking about changing jobs, um, they are going to look for somebody who looks like them to serve them. And so, you know, again, there's a stat on the CFP. I can't remember what it is. You guys may remember, but there's more CFPs over the age of, is it 70 or 60 than there are under 40? Um, and so there's going to be a, you know, a pretty seismic change in the financial services industry. And, um, you know, I just believe that people are going to want to work with people that understand who they are and are like them. And, and you know, with that fact alone, the, the face and the demographics of financial services on the advisor side, um, I believe, are going to change dramatically over the next 10 years. I completely agree. I mean, I, yeah. I think people forget how old millennials are. Um, and that's actually come yes. up a few times. <laughs> it's come up a few times, even just recently with the, um, the whole COVID-19 situation that, um, you know, folks have been saying, hey, by the way, millennials are, most of them near 40 years old. <laughs> like the, on the high end, they're in their late 30s. They're not kids. Um, and so the way yeah. that we're even talking about the millennial generation, I think, is becoming outdated and needs to be rethought. Um, mm -hmm. but, um, yeah, I, I do, I do agree with you that, um, unless we modify how we're approaching these things that, um, that we're going to get, we're going to get lost and we're going to be really far behind. Um, I do think that the, and I've talked about this many times, but my, my gut feeling is that we are not doing a good enough job about, um, describing what it really means to be part of this industry it feels, it still feels like it has this, um, it's wrapped in this package of Gordon Gecko um, in the movie Wall Street with slick back hair and, you know, no heart. And I, mm -hmm. I found it to be, I, I was, I was really, I don't want to say shocked, but it was really eye opening to work with advisors and to hear them talk about the work that they do and how, how much they care about every single one of their clients and the fact that they, um, you know, cried with their clients and um, talked about probably the most important um, life-changing events with their clients, sometimes before anybody else in the family knew about it. Um, you know, they weren't just advisors, they were psychologists and friends and mentors, and um, they, they wore a lot of hats. And I do think that, um, that younger generations who want to help people are missing something about our industry. That there's something really important about what we could, what we do here. Yeah, I agree. You know, and it's it's um, it's interesting because there is definitely a, a double edged double edged sword in the industry, and that is, you know, we know that the advisor community needs to change and needs to become more diverse and needs to support those initiatives. On the other hand. The kids that are 22 and 23 that are leaving school, they do not graduate wanting to be a financial advisor. 
Um, and you know, why is this? That is, is definitely the perception, Tara. Um, you know, and some of it is just the way that, um, you know, unfortunately, people view Wall Street because in some ways, you know, the days of the geckos or the days of people just out selling stocks to unwitting investors, those are long over. And I absolutely agree with you. The vast majority of advisors that I work with, they really do exist to serve their clients. And so, you know, I think that it's really important as kids are in school that they begin to understand, you know, the value of, um, you know, providing advice to others. And, you know, again, from having a 22-year-old who's a senior in college and is going to graduate in May, she is more interested in doing good for the world than she is going out and making a bunch of money. And so it is interesting how there are firms out there that will hire um, younger kids into the practice to become planners and do some of the behind-the-scenes work. But the way the compensation works there is rather than having them all on commission, they're on a straight salary. And so there's some interesting changes, I think, that have to happen in the marketplace because if you're on straight salary, um, you don't have that conflict of trying to put the investor in the product that's going to make you the most money at the end of the day. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see how that evolves over time also. But the bottom line is that there has to be some incentive for younger people to, um, to really get into the business. I completely agree. Um, yeah, and I definitely. think that changing the story about who we are as an industry um, and telling a more accurate story is part of the part of a, where we can start and doing it at a younger age. Um, because, you know, like you said, a lot of, fo uh, a lot of these, I don't want to call them kids, young adults um, aren't interested in making a boatload of money. They're interested in um, having a, a good life where they're comfortable, but being able to help people. And mm -hmm. I, I, I feel like there's such a disconnect because that's, that is truly what we're doing. We're, we're helping people in the, in one of the most important ways, which is to provide financial security throughout your life. I mean, what's more important than that, you know, being able to be comfortable through the end of life. Um, I just, I feel enormously lucky that, and privileged really that I'm in a position where um, I've worked with an advisor for a long time. I got on board really young and I had people guiding me toward that. Um, I just don't know that everybody has that privilege. So I, I feel like if we had had a more diverse workforce where there are more people in all sorts of different communities who can educate their neighbors and their friends, um, we'd be, as a country, I think we'd be in a much healthier position um, where, where there are fewer I people. I think that it are... actually... Go ahead, Alex. Sorry, Tara. I was going to say that I think that it actually starts earlier than that. I think we need to get into the schools and teach mm -hmm. financial responsibility, financial literacy in schools. I was reading an article um, a few months ago about a program in New York City where they are actually teaching in every single New York City public school financial literacy. And how amazing is that, that every single kid that graduates is going to understand financial terminology is going to understand how to budget, how to, you know, do their taxes. I mean, there's, there's so many things that, you know, I'm sure that you both can, you know, maybe not Matt, because, you know, he wanted to go into finance very early, but, you know, I didn't know a lot of the terminology, you know, I, I didn't know how to budget. Um, you know, I, I didn't, I didn't understand it. Um, but from a young age, and I, I think that if we change that narrative, um, teach these kids younger, that they would have a different perception of what the financial services industry actually is and, and what it looks like and what it can do. And them. want to participate in it then. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I, think no, that, I, Alex, I think that one of the barriers to entry is just what you talked about. It's that intimidation factor. It's not not feeling comfortable and confident enough in, in knowing, um, you know, some of the basic underlying principles or 
even terms. And, and it's interesting to hear you talk about budgeting because that's, you know, really a basic thing. But if um, mm-hmm. you're not coming out of financial services, you know, that probably is not going to be top of mind. It certainly isn't going to be, you know, how do I put aside a little bit when I'm 22? So right. because I know the power of, um, you know, compounding interest over time, um, that isn't even going to be, somebody isn't even going to be thinking about that. Exactly. You know, I wish that somebody would have um, taken me aside when I was, you know, maybe like 16, you know, getting ready to look at colleges and apply for colleges and, you know, forcing me to understand what my life's going to look like when I graduate from college and and from a financial perspective, you know, it might've changed my mind about where I went to school or, you know, maybe what I majored in the classes that I took, you know, maybe I would have taken a financial class or, or something that would have helped me instead of hindered me. Well, and that's, you know, there's, there's some really interesting undertones there because one, we know that we've got a, a retirement saving crisis in America, um, you know, with the defined benefit plans gone, it all being DC um, and the likelihood that social security in the long run, the benefits may or may not be there. Um, so it's mm-hmm. up to the individual to save and if people don't understand, you know, the basics of that, um, it's tough. You know, then, then there's other stats like the, you know, the average American couldn't withstand, um, you know, an unexpected bill of, I can't remember how much it is, $800. Um, mm-hmm. And so that kind of goes to the point, Alex, that, you know, even having a, a basic financial plan where you know how to set aside a little bit of money for an emergency fund. Um, yep. You know, those are some, those are some things that are, that are basic, but really important. And, you know, my hope is that that younger generation begins to understand that, you know, as a financial planner, which above and beyond anything else, I believe that that's the future of the business. That's where the real value comes. Um, you know, that it really is about helping people um, and just helping people, kind of every day. I know that the advisors that I've spoken to over the past two weeks with the volatility in the market, you know, if they've set the expectation with their clients on the front side, that this is a long-term play, that they will rebalance portfolios as markets change. Um, They haven't received nearly as many calls as the advisors who are selling the, um, you know, the hot stocks or the hot sectors. Um, and so it really is noble to be um, to be a financial planner. Completely I agree. agree. <laughs> so, um, Matt, well, in your opinion, since we consider you an ally, um, which is why we are interviewing you today. Um, thank you. Yes, thank you for being an ally. We appreciate it. Yes. Um, what, in your opinion, does it take to be an ally and to be one that is helpful? You know, again, I just think that if if you're going to run a successful business, it's not, it really isn't an option. You have got to, you've got to be ready for change. You have got to, um, you've got to be diverse. You have to have differing opinions because the world is changing. You know, Terry, you mentioned COVID earlier. You know, I believe that COVID is going to have a a pretty dramatic long-term impact on business and school and life in general. Um, You know, we're all working remote. So if you think about the ability to do that, my kids are all remote in terms of learning. Um, There's definitely going to be some changes um, to the way that business is done. Um, And so to think that, you know, you don't have to be diverse, to think that, you don't have to promote um, differing thoughts or, um, you know, differing opinions. I just don't believe that people are going to make it. I, I don't see it as a, as a choice. I see it as, um, as, a, as a mandate going forward. While it's easy to say that, the next step is, you know, how do we get there? I think that that's a, that that's a, a tougher question um, and that that really is, kind of an individual company decision where we will see firms that believe in that and adopt 
um, and really in many ways go for it. Um, and, and again, I think that those are the firms five, six, seven, four, whatever time period you want to measure it over, they will really outperform their peers. Mm-hmm. Well, going like piggybacking off of that, do you have any advice that you might give to any other business leaders that, you know, maybe they want to dip their toe in and get started with some sort of diversity or inclusion initiative? I got plenty of advice for them. I just don't know that they would listen to me. You know, what I've seen mm-hmm. is that people that have been successful and um, gotten to a certain point, they either go one or two ways. They continue to innovate and look for best ideas um, and really receive the benefit, or they believe that they have um, built this awesome business and there's no need to change. And so I would rather give advice to people who either are young and emerging or have been at a place for a while and are frustrated with um, with the way that the firm is. And maybe I'll start with the latter. If people have been with a firm and they don't see them as being progressive and they don't seeing them as valuing diversity or really investing in their employees um, today with the market and um, the way the economy is, it probably isn't a good time to leave, but it's certainly a good time to do a self-inventory and really understand who you are, what your strengths are, ask yourself some hard questions. What do you really get pleasure out of doing and where do you want to go? I think that once people have those hard conversations with themselves, then they can begin to look out um, at other firms and make a decision that when the economy gets better and things are back on track, it's probably time to do something different. Because again, I believe that firms either believe in diversity and inclusion and change, or they don't. Um, And somebody who's been at a firm where they haven't changed and they've been frustrated, I think it's pretty unlikely that they're going to bring a lot of change in a short term where that feeling is going to go away. So to, to people that have been with firms where they don't see it coming, my advice is believe in yourself, invest in yourself, use this time to learn find some new skills, have some honest conversation with you, with yourself and with some coworkers, you know, get some 360 feedback from some others um, and make a change. To those that are, you know, moving into the world, into the business world, I feel like they're better equipped than, um, than any other generation where via social media, via networking with their friends, um, I think that they get a pretty good sense for companies and and how they're shaped. But to anybody who's making that first move or getting into a new industry, talk to firms about how mentoring works and how they develop talents. I think that those are questions that are more important than, you know, when can I get my next raise? How do you reward your high performers? Um, everybody asks that, but um, digging into a company and seeing how they really support people, um, I think that those are that those are the important questions. So to the other business owners, my my bottom line is if you don't change, your business is not going to be as successful as it has been in the past. Completely agree. Uh, I, yeah, I love that. Yeah, me too. And I wish that I had heard what you just said a long time ago. And to ask that question about talent development and how you mentor your staff to develop professionally is definitely not the top question that people are asking when they're going into interviews. And I think it is so revealing um, the response that you would get to a question like that. Um, Maybe they don't have a response, which in and of itself is very telling. Um, but I think, I think we're all, when we're young, focused on what's the salary, what's my, you know, what's my flexibility, um, Mm -hmm. you know, what are sort of like those immediate creature comforts that I would get from this job. But I think for a long-term career development, those questions are so important. Um, and I, I wish that I had been thinking that way a long time ago. So I think that's a fantastic point. Um, and then I just keep thinking about this idea of like, you know, we're, we're on the verge of a recession if we're not in it already. And, um, what happened during the, the last 
great recession. Um, you know, we got companies like Uber, um, or Airbnb that came from, you know, that kind of moment of challenge. That's where innovation starts to, um, germinate, right? Like, so I'm really curious about what's going to spring from this experience that we're having right now and how firms and how firms in our industry may take the experience right now and make some adjustments and changes and how they approach their business, because it's a really great opportunity to see what we're lacking and, um, and, and how we can change to just to be a better, to be better with each other and, and serve our clients better. So I think that's really fantastic. Well, I agree. And, and, you know, I think that again, um, for anybody who is uncertain as to the firm that they work for, their commitment to them, because I've seen, Personally, I've seen some companies do some things that I just think are are really, really short-sighted um, with some of the employees that they've that they've let go. Um, and so I agree with you, Tara. These times, you know, one, they really show who companies are and what leadership believes yeah. in. Two, there will be unbelievably great things that are created and that come out of these trying times. And so, again, for people that are frustrated um, with where they sit today, with their career and their employer and their industry, um, there is no better time to have your eyes open. Again, I wouldn't recommend to anybody that they quit today and try and find a new job because I think that that would be um, I think that would be foolish. But it is good time. It is a good time to take stock personally. And again, get some feedback from some others, because I think we always see ourselves in, in one light. And um, mm-hmm. be prepared for the opportunities that are going to arise. Um, by the way, I read something today that, well, you know, Terry, you said we may be in a recession. Um, technically, with the rally over the past three days, we've actually entered into bull market territory because it's wow. up 20% in the last yeah. three days. So That's how about that for blowing up the, uh, the, the norms and what we used to believe in? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Things are different. <laughs> uh-huh. Things change. Yeah. We have to be open to it. And, you know, I feel like just this, just talking about the market, it's sort of like coming full circle because you are very open to ideas and look at, I mean, look at how, how good you are at your job and how people will follow mm-hmm. you. Right. Because you're, you're open to learning from everybody. So if we're open to learning from how the world changes, then we'll all be better and our companies will be better our industry will be better. I love that. Um, so Matt, I just wanted to ask you, um, and this is usually Alex's question, but do you have any um, (laughs) (laughs) books or articles or podcasts that you've been consuming lately that, um, you feel are particularly interesting or that should be something that, um, maybe somebody who's listening to this podcast could find some value in? You know, it's, it's a good question and it's a fair question because, again, podcasts are things that my, um, that, that my kids love to consume. Um, because of my commute, um, you know, I typically walk to the office. I, um, I just, for whatever reason, I'm, I'm not a big podcast person. Um, you know, the way, that I, the way that I learn is really twofold. I, I read a lot of industry news every day. Um, not to make market calls because I am personally, I'm a very long-term investor. I'm a set it and forget it person. Um, I'll follow where the markets are, but I don't panic um, when it's down, um, you know, on a daily basis. And I don't get too excited when it's up on a daily basis. Um, So I like to read industry news. I like to read, um, you know, really a lot of different opinions on, um, on what's going on in the market and what the trends are. And then um, ever since Renee taught me, I have been a a consumer of news on Twitter. Although I will say that um, in today's events, um, I really don't know what to believe anymore because there's so much, um, there's so much noise out there. Um, But that's really, I'm I'm just really focused on kind of industry news, believe it or not. Yeah, I've noticed that on your Twitter that that you're very focused right now. Um, I like that. But kind of, um, you know, over to the podcast, you you might not listen to a lot, but I know that you're a really great supporter of our podcast um, and our other stream. 
of podcast, The Breaking Barriers, um, our theme this month was um, boss babes honoring women in positions of power and leadership. And you mentioned a woman, I didn't catch her first name earlier, Bevan. Yeah, it's Is Bevan that who you Bevan. think of when you, when you think of boss babes? Yeah, I mean, she, um, she definitely was my guiding light at, at Morningstar. Um, and then there was Liz Kersher, who was also at Morningstar um, when I got hired. And um, those two were, they were and they still are um, really incredible leaders that um, beyond a shadow of a doubt I looked up to. So what did you, what's sort of like the one takeaway that you would point to from your experiences with um, one or both of them that you feel like you still use in your work today? You know, I think that there's, there's a couple takeaways. Um, you know, they, they had a, um, both of them had a really good read on the market and they listened to a lot of different people. And so it taught me to expand um, kind of outside my, um, my focus, you know, I've always been focused on the, on the sales side. Um, and certainly Bevan was good at getting feedback from really all sides of the business, finance, HR, clients, employees. Um, she really did a great job with that. And so it taught me not to be so, I guess in some ways, so narrow-minded or or so focused on, um, on just the end result. Um, the other thing that she was really good at was celebrating success. Um, and I've always just assumed that, um, that we would get to whatever target and goals we set and wasn't so good at taking a step back and, um, you know, really letting people know how much I appreciated their efforts. Um, and so um, she had a really, really unique and really good talent and a really nice way about um, uh, about doing things like that. She also was a um, she also was a was a mom with um, a bunch of young kids, and um, you know she still found time for the family and for uh, for business. So that's certainly something that I respect. Also, yeah, I I um. I find it interesting to hear that that's something that you learned from her, the um, connecting with people and listening to other, um, other voices in the, in the company um, and then celebrating mm -hmm. successes because I see that in you, you know, um, yeah. for anybody who doesn't know, Matt works in Chicago and the headquarters for FI 360s in Pittsburgh. So whenever you're in the office, Matt, it's like, I, you know, I'm in the far corner from where the, the entrance is and I can hear you the moment you walk in. Because yep. you're not just sneaking in and finding a desk and sitting down. You're coming in, you're shaking hands, you're saying hello, you're asking people, how's it going? What's up? Mm -hmm. What's new? Tell me what you're experiencing. Um, and yep. you're very, very good at engaging with everybody across the floor. Yes. Um, and I think that people value that and appreciate it because it makes them feel important. And like they have a voice and that they can speak to a senior leader and, and have it heard and have it mean something. Um, so, you know, if that's something that you learned from Bevan and others that you've, you've worked with in the past, it's, it shows because it's, it does. It's really part of who you are and what we appreciate about you um, as a leader at FI360. And the celebrating successes. I, yeah. yes. I always know that you read my emails. You know? I do, Alex. Sometimes, I always have. <laughs> sometimes you don't know. You know, you send your email and it just goes off into the ether. But, you know, I always know that Matt reads my emails because he always, you know, if there's something to celebrate in them, you know, he always responds. And it is good about, um, you know, celebrating everybody's successes and, and letting everyone know how much he appreciates their efforts toward the goal. Yeah, it matters. Well, it does know, matter. Thanks. Um, you know, thanks for the compliments. I, I got so much personal satisfaction out of, um, you know, what we've done at FI360. It's crazy when I think back to, um, you know, joining six years ago and it was 22, it was a different company. 24 people. Yeah, it is a different company. And, you know, as we grew, it was really the um, the culture that we built and established and maintained, um, mm -hmm. you know, really that I was most proud of. And, and at the end of the day, the fact that we had almost no turnover 
um, was just remarkable. Um, and, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Tara, we did it the, we did it the right way. Um, and if you look at the, you know, broadly speaking, the leadership team, um, you know, everybody, everybody got a chance and it wasn't, um, you know, it wasn't dominated by old white men. Um, mm -hmm. and that's, that's one of the reasons why I believe that we were successful. Um, so thanks to both of you, because without your commitment, there's no way we, we ever could have been as successful as we are. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thank you. Yes. It's been a pleasure to work with FI360. It's good people, good culture. Yes. Um, you know, every company has its challenges and ours is no different. Um, but I do, it's, I've said it before and I'll, I'll always say it. it's one of the, my favorite places where I've ever worked. Um, and that's the great people in the culture. So we have to do it together. Yeah. Um, and, you know, starting with the leadership all the way, all the way through the entire staff. So it's, it's been great. Um, so switching gears a little mm -hmm. bit, I know that, um, we just have a few more minutes, but we like to play a little game. Alex, do you have uh, yes. some articles? I love you. <laughs> oh, yes. And actually, we're going to do something a little bit differently today. Um, this is new information. <laughs> I know. I Thanks wanted to so surprise much. you. I was playing some Battleship last night, and I got destroyed by a 15-year-old. Destroyed. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is much lower stakes. <laughs> yeah, much lower. <laughs> All right, so uh, these first two, uh, we're going to do spot the fake news headlines. So I'm going to read you um, two different headlines, and you have to pick which one is fake. Fake news. Okay, ready? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So here's, here's the two. Australian imposters play official golf tournament in North Korea. Or North Korean cats rounded up and sent south. Which one of those Ooh. is fake? Jeez, that's a tough one. I, I got to think it's the uh, it's the golf. I can't imagine they have any golf courses um, in North Korea. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. I think that the cat story is true. That one is fake. <gasps> oh, really? Yeah. So the, the in Australian imposters did play official golf tournament in North Korea. Wow. Wow. I don't think I have the guts to do something like that in North Korea. You might not ever get out. <laughs> no way. No way. <laughs> That's playing Russian roulette. <laughs> uh-huh. All right. One more. One more spot the fake. Um, all right. So here we go. Uh, flood of caramel or caramel uh, unleashed by Brazilian sugar fire or weatherman trapped by avalanche mid-report. Which one of those is fake? Oh, the the um, the weatherman trapped by avalanche. That's got to be true. I kind of I think that the caramel's true. I want to dissent. You are correct, Tara. <laughs> Wait a minute. The weatherman this, one this is fake. Is, no, this game is rigged. You two are always doing this <laughs> podcast. You sent Tara a message via via Teams, Alex, to tip her off. Nope. Rip off. Just nope. a guess, just a pure guess. <laughs> we'll we'll pick this up again once we can get back into the office together. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Put lunch on the line. Oh yeah, I'm in. I'm in. Okay. All right. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> well, Matt, it's a pleasure as always to chat with you. You always you always give us some interesting insights, and it's really great to have learned more about who you are, where you came from, and you know, why we love you so much. It all kind of makes more sense now that we know more about you. So thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Thank you for being an ally. Um, yes. And thank you thank for you. being our coworker and friend. We appreciate you. Well, we you do. two are great. You know, more than anything, I appreciate the personal relationships I have with each of you. I think that, you know, that um, I hold you both in really high regard. I'm proud to say you're my friends and you know, I'm, I'm really proud of the fact that um, that you two have taken this, ini this initiative and ran with it, because if people don't have the guts to do things like this, we're not going to see change or we will see change, but it's going to come at a pace that's too slow. So um, 
Thanks for having me on. I really, really enjoyed it, as I always do, but I really enjoyed um, getting a chance to talk with you today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure as always. Thank you as always for spending your time with us. Again, this is A Little Louder Now by The Bridge Initiative. Thank you to Matt Walnowitz for this great conversation. If you have questions, topic ideas, or if you'd like to join the Bridge Initiative community, email us at bridge at fi360.com. You can also support the podcast without spending a dime by leaving us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, we want you all to get a little louder now.